Today we will be reading from Colossians 3, 5 through 17. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, and in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, which is practicing, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called thankful in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God. Good morning again, church. Today we're going to wrap up our our series, The Fullness of Christ. We've been in the book of Colossians for three or four weeks now, kind of through the Easter season. And then uh, next week we're going to jump into the book of Ruth. So we're excited about that. So this week, start reading the book of Ruth. Get, Get your hearts ready for that. The Fullness of Christ. Christ is the fullness of God. That was chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. Christ, the fullness of God. And that that part of it, probably most of us have very, if you're a Christian, you probably have very little problem with that concept. Christ is God. He is the fullness of God. But then in chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says these amazing words. He says, Christ is the fullness of God, and you, Christian, have been filled in him. Wow. You see, you have a superpower, Christian. You have a superpower. And so today's sermon, How to Live from the Fullness of Christ, I I almost entitled this, How to Live as a Superhero. If you know if you know me, if you know Pastor Brady, you know that I like superhero movies and stories. I'm not a geek about it. I don't read the comic books and all of that. I don't do Comic-Con. But I enjoy a good superhero story, a good superhero movie. And here's what every superhero story kind of has in common. They're not a superhero. And then they become a superhero. And then they got to figure out how to be a superhero. Right? So the origin story movies, those are always the best ones, aren't they? So, so he gets bit by the spider, he becomes a superhero, and then, then we spend the next hour of the movie watching him learn how to be Spider-Man. Or we, we watch Clark Kent learn how to be Superman. 
That's the Christian life. You have a superpower. You have the fullness of Christ in you. I mean, that, that's, that's a crazy thought. That's like a comic book, man. It's like, it's like an origin story. Like, you, you have found this power, and it has come inside of you and taken over your life, and now you got to figure out what to do with that. What can I actually do? When I was a kid, there was this TV show that I loved. It was called The Greatest American Hero. And it was, I don't, anybody ever seen that show? It's an old show. Yeah, all right. Right on. Gen Xers. Woo! Um, so, Greatest American Hero. Greatest American Hero, he's this, he's this teacher. He's this ordinary teacher. He goes out in the desert, field trip with his students, and these aliens come, and they give him a super suit. And when he puts on the super suit, he has all these powers. But in the, in the pilot episode, he loses the instruction book. He leaves it behind in the desert. So then the rest of the TV show is shenanigans ensue because he has, he has a superpower that he has no idea what to do with. He doesn't know how to fly. He doesn't know how to land. He's crashing. He doesn't understand his powers. Over the course of the show, he sees that he has even more powers than he thought. And so he's learning how to live with what he is, what he has become. Superheroes aren't passive, are they? Superheroes take what they are and they use it to save the world. Sometimes when the superhero tries to give up on their powers, you know, that, that, that story's been told. Superman 2. Remember Superman 2? I'm talking like early 80s. Superman, I'm not going to be Superman anymore. I'm going to give back my powers. Bad decision, right? Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, I'm not going to be Spider-Man anymore. The classic scene, he throws the suit in the dumpster. I'm done being Spider-Man. But then each time they're drawn back, they're drawn back into it, aren't they? They're drawn back into it by love, really, by love for humanity, by love for, for others. And so here's us, here we are as Christians, we have this, we have the fullness of Christ but what do we do with it? And so from Colossians 3, I want to give you, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list six things. I'm going to call them steps. They're not even really steps. They kind of all are happening at the same time. But we're going to call them steps for the sake of the sermon. Six things that we can glean from this passage for how to be a superhero, how to live with this power that you have inside of you. So number one, first thing that you have to do is you have to know who and what you are in Christ. And really, that's been the whole book of Colossians up until chapter 3, verse 5. And it, gets, it, it was summarized for us in 3, 1 through 4. In Colossians 3, 1 through 4. You died. You died with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 3, verse 3. You died, Christian. Your old life is over. Your new life has begun. Your, your, the religion, the earning, the performing, the... the um, the achieving, it's done. Self-justifying, done. Self-improvement plans, done. And you have been raised with Christ. You have died with Christ and you have, raised, you have been raised with Christ. You have a new life. You have a new mind. You have a new heart. You have a new mind. You have new affections, new desires. Set your mind on things above. You can do that now. In the King James, it says, set your affections, set your desires on things above. You, you can do that. You have the power to do that. 
You see, Christianity is not doing in order to be. Christianity is being in order to do, isn't it? It's not doing in order to become something. It's being and then doing, doing from our being. And we are full and complete in Christ. That's what we are. See, Colossians 3, 5 through 17 is not adding on to Jesus. These are not add-on verses. Okay, now that you've got Jesus, do, add, add to Jesus all these other things. No, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, because you have Jesus, this is what Jesus will look like in you. This is what Jesus coming out of you, this is what, when you understand what you have, this is what will come out of you. And so, I, we drew a little picture a little graphic, that might be a little hard to see, but you can see at our core, at our core where our spirit is, the old is dead and the new is alive. In verse 9 and 10, Colossians 3, 9 and 10, Paul says this, don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, verse 10, and have put on the new self. That's what you are. The old is gone, the new has come. You are the new creation. And so now from that, we battle what is earthly in us or indwelling sin or the flesh, Paul calls it. And so my question for you this morning is, has this happened to you? If, if, if we were still telling a superhero story, I would ask, have you been bitten by the spider? Have you, been, ha, have you received the super serum like Captain America? Has this happened to you? Have you traded in your old life for the new life of Christ? A life where he does it all. A life where he came to earth, performed for you, was sinless for you, kept the law for you, and then died and took the punishment of a guilty person for you. Have you received that? Have you embraced the superpower of fullness with Christ? And if you haven't, as always, I would, I would encourage, I would beg, I would whatever it takes to, to ask you to think about that and to receive it today. Receive it today. Receive God's unconditional love and grace. Number two. Number two. Okay, I know... I know who I am, Brady. I got that. I know. I know that I'm in Christ. I got that knowledge. Okay, now let's start applying this knowledge. Let's start applying who we are. Let's start applying this power that we have to our lives. And so trusting your death with Christ, we're going to put sin to death. And that's how our passage starts. Paul's going to give us two metaphors for dealing with sin in this section. The first one is we kill it. And the second one is we take it off, like a garment. We put it away, like an old coat. We kill it, and we take it off. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You see it? We're going to kill sin. We're going to mortify sin. And then verse 8. But now you must put them all away. It's, again, it's the idea of putting away an old garment or, or like unwrapping a person like when Lazarus came out of the grave and, and Jesus said, take those grave clothes off of Lazarus. Get rid of those. Burn those. Put those away. That's not who he is now. He's alive now. 
Those things, those, being a mummy was appropriate when he was dead, but he's not dead anymore. So get him out of that, get him out of those clothes. Change your mindset. Identify what is earthly in you. Verse 5, put to death what is earthly in you. What, what part of you is still grasping for self-autonomy? What part of you is saying, I can still do it on my own? And listen, this can look like both running away from God's love and it can look like chasing after God's love. Let me say that again. Sin in your heart can look like both running away from God's love. Oh, I don't need that. And it can look like chasing after God's love as if I don't have it yet. You do have it. And you have all of it you're ever going to get. We don't return to God as a slave. The prodigal son tried to go back to dad as a slave, didn't he? And dad had none of it. Dad said, you don't come back to me as a slave. You come back to me as my son. Some of you are still approaching God as a slave instead of as a son or as a daughter. Sin's power is already dealt with. The only way you can deal with sin in your life, Christian, is if you understand that sin is already dealt with. The only way you can deal with sin in your life, Christian, is if you understand that sin is already dealt with. 2, 13 through 15. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Every transgression forgiven. Every record of debt nailed to the cross. Do you believe that? You have put off the old. You have died, therefore kill sin. You have already died, therefore kill sin. You have already put off the old, therefore put off sin. Do you see it? Our, our efforts at putting off sin and killing sin have to flow from the gracious act of Jesus Christ in already dealing with that sin completely for us. And so what do superheroes do? They fight sin. They fight evil, don't they? It's a really boring superhero movie if there's no bad guy. That's a, that's a terrible movie. But you know what makes the best superhero movies? Is when the superhero also has to first deal with their own internal sin. They have to deal with their own angst, their own issues. Everybody hated the new Wonder Woman movie from this past year. I loved it. Wonder Woman 1984. If you haven't seen it, in this movie, Wonder Woman, before she can battle the bad guy, she has to first confront the idols of her own heart and put them aside. It's this vivid picture. I'm recommending this movie to you as your pastor. Watch it devotionally, right? Watch it devotionally with your small group. Oh, do right? Because it's, 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 not, it's not as good as the first one, I admit, and it's got some plot holes and it can get weird. But in the movie, she has to deal with her own idolatry before she can go face the back. Look, that's us. We've got to deal with this, Christian. We've got to deal with the idolatry that remains in our hearts. And Paul will say it, it manifests itself in two ways. Sexual sin and anger. Those are the two lists he give, gives us. Two lists of five. Verse 5, 
Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. He's moving backwards through the progression. It starts as covetousness. I covet. I covet what I see. And then that covetousness turns turns into evil desires or over-desires, which turns into passions and impurity, which then becomes porneia, sexual immorality or fornication. Paul's walking us through the, the addiction cycle, the sin cycle here. And he does the same thing with anger. Verse 8, now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Here he does it, he does it backwards. He starts with the entry sin, which is anger. Sometimes anger is okay, isn't it? Sometimes anger is okay. When, some, when, something, when somebody's doing something bad or evil, it's okay to be angry. But what happens? Anger turns into wrath and malice where I start to hate the other person. And then what's happening? It starts to come out of my mouth. I start to slander and I start to talk obscenely, destructively about the other person. God says, God says these need to be put out of our lives, don't they? Why? Why? Verse 6 His first point of logic, because the wrath of God is revealed against these sins. The wrath of God is revealed. Paul's not threatening us, Christian, with the wrath of God. We are outside of the wrath of God. Jesus has drunk the cup of wrath for us. But here's his logic. If the wrath of God is against these sins, why on earth would any Christian seek them? If you're not under God's wrath, why on earth would you seek the things that bring God's wrath? That doesn't make any sense for you anymore. And then his second reason why we should put off these sins and kill these sins is love. And by the way, God's wrath flows from his love, doesn't it? It's because he loves us that he's angry at our sin. Why do we lust? Why do we commit sexual sin? Why do men lust? The common thought, even amongst Christians and evangelical circles, is men lust because we are, uh, we are stimulated by what we see. We are visually stimulated. Okay, maybe. But men lust for the same reason women lust. And they, and we all lust. We lust because we don't trust the love of God for us. We lust because we don't believe that we're actually loved. Why do we get angry? Why do we start saying malicious things? Because we don't trust that we're actually loved. That we're actually okay. And because of that, we don't choose to love. We don't choose to act in a loving way. See, here's the bottom line. You can't love the person you're coveting. You can't love the person you're objectifying. You, you can't love a person and treat them as an object at the same time. This is profound. I'm going to say something very profound. You can't love the person you hate. You can't. You can't. So, how do, what, okay, how, what, how do I do this, Brady? How do I do this? How do I kill sin? How do I fight the bad guy in my heart and the bad guy around me? How do I fight this evil that's inside of me? Number three, we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. 
We let the word of Christ, verse 16, we're going to move backwards through Paul's progression here. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The gospel, that's all he means, the gospel. Let the gospel dwell in your heart. Well, what's the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus came and he died for you. He lived for you. He took your place. And now because of that, you can die with him, rise with him, and be glorified with him. That is the gospel. Let that dwell in your heart, in our hearts. It's plural. Let that dwell, plural, in our hearts. Let it live among us. You see, at the end of the day, we're not attaching our lives to a list of rules. We're not even attaching our lives to an ethic, although there's an ethic here, but that is not the core of who we are. The core of who we are is a, is a relationship with the Savior who saved us, who loved us and gave his life for us. Galatians 2.20. I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. That's my motivator. That's what moves me forward, is that story of love being applied to my heart. How? How do we let the word of Christ, the gospel, dwell in our hearts Teach it to one another. Look at what he says. Verse 16, teaching one another, admonishing one another, singing to one another. Teaching one another, admonishing or warning one another, and singing to one another. Christian, listen to me. This is imposs- All of that's impossible without community. These are group activities that Paul's t- Paul, Paul didn't say, listen to me, Paul didn't say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Make sure that you have a really good personal and private quiet time. Make sure you're having daily devotions. He didn't say that, did he? How do we let the word of Christ dwell in us? We do it corporately. We do it as a group. I'm not against personal and private, reading your Bible and praying and studying. I'm not against that. I'm not trying to downplay that. But if you ask me, Pastor Brady, what's more important, my personal private quiet time or being in a group with other Christians and talking about Scripture together? You, you already know what I'm going to say. I can spend 10 hours, this has happened, I'll spend 6, 7, 8, 10 hours looking at a text, and then I'll go into staff meeting with my, with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and for 45 minutes we'll talk about it, and I will glean more from the text in that 45 minutes than I did in the 10 hours of studying up by myself. Because something's happening. We're letting it dwell in us. We're teaching and admonishing one another. And we come to church corporately to sing the gospel, don't we? That's why we sing, and we will always sing. And even when they said wear masks and all that, we said, all right, please, church, wear a mask and sing. Because we're commanded to sing to one another. Are you letting this happen? Where is the word of, how is the word of Christ? Where is the word of Christ coming into your life and dwelling? Are you letting it in, Christian? Some of you haven't let the word of Christ off the front porch. You, you treat him like he's that window salesman. You know, like he knocks on your door and you're like, okay, I'll open the door, but I'm not letting this dude in. 
In fact, I'm trying to get rid of him as quickly as I can. Where, how are you letting the word of Christ into, into the foyer of your heart, into the kitchen of your heart, into the closets of your heart, into the attic, the basement, the bedroom of your heart? You show me a struggling Christian, you show me a Christian in spiritual depression, you show me a Christian who says I'm not growing, and I promise you if I ask them this question, how are you letting the word of Christ into your life, they're going to look at me and go, I'm not. You show me a marriage that's struggling, you show me a husband and wife who aren't getting along, I promise you I'm going to look at them, I'm going to say, how are you letting the word of Christ into your life, and they're going to look at me and go, we're not. I got 14 years of data to back that up. Are you letting the word of Christ into your dreams, your fears, your worries, your doubts, your hopes, your temptations, your burdens, your failures, your successes? Is the word of Christ the the lens through which you look at your children, your career, your house, your finances, your health, your relationships, your education? Are you letting the word of Christ dwell in your heart? Number four. Now that the Word of Christ is dwelling in my heart, now that I'm tapping into it over and over, the Gospel, I'm letting the Gospel take control. I'm letting the Gospel in. I'm preaching the Gospel to myself. Now I can start to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. Verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. See, if, if your interaction with the Word of God... If your inter listen to me this is important if your interaction with the word of God the word of Christ if it is not producing peace you're doing it wrong you're you're reading it wrong you're reading you're reading the bible as a book about you and all that you got to do to keep up and, and stay with God and keep God happy, you're reading it as law instead of as grace. Because when you read it as gospel, the peace of Christ will start to take over, won't it? Is the peace of Christ taking over? Well, Brady, how do I, how do I have the peace of Christ? This is your superpower. You have it. You have it. Chapter 2, 13, 14, 15, you, every sin canceled. Every transgression forgiven and removed. Every list against you, every record of debt canceled. You have the peace of Christ. Let it rule. Let it rule by faith. Let it rule. Trust it. Your future is secure. Chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ appears in glory, you will appear with Him. Man, I hope I make it to heaven. Don't say that. Christian, don't say, I hope I make it to heaven. Say, my hope is that I'm going to heaven. I am going to heaven. That's peace. That's peace. All is right with God. All is right, right with your Savior. Every, your standing with God is set. Every sin has been cast as far as east is from west. They have been buried in the deepest ocean. Do you believe that? Do you believe that everything in your life, when you are in Christ, everything in your life is under His control? Do you believe that? 
Do you understand what this will do for your mindset? When you eliminate, when you eliminate, um, I got so far to go, I got so much more to gain, oh, I've fallen so, I've fallen so far, I'm so far, no, you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You, if, if Christ is standing here, you feel like you've wandered so far from Christ, and trust me, when you turn around, guess who's right there? Christ. He's just, he's just there. I'm still here. Still here. Still here. That's Jesus. That's who you are. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. What if you could embrace that there's no better and no worse for your life? There's no failure, no defeat in your life. What you label a failure and defeat, Christ is saying, no, that, that's something I'm using to make you amazing. What if, this, what if Christ redefined your whole life? What kind of peace would you have? What if, you, what if this peace allowed you to stop defending your own rights and agenda and preferences? What if this kind of peace eliminated all boasting and quarreling and lying and quitting and running away? Not to mention the sins, the sins of anger and malice and, and corrupt talk and lust and fornication and belittling each other. What if this peace actually eliminated all division in the church? Verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Why did he choose those words? Because those are all words they would use against each other. The Greeks, thought, the Greeks literally thought that they were created directly by the gods, formed out of the earth, and that they, they were the most important people on the planet. If you're a Greek, the world revolves around you. And if you were a Jew, you thought that you were God's chosen people and everybody else is just going to hell. And Paul stands up and says, no, there's no Greek and Jew. And if you were a Roman, you thought the Scythians and the barbarians, you, they are lost causes. They are not part of our empire. They're just out there kind of doing their own thing. And then slave and free, we've talked about that a lot in here. That's such a social difference, such a status difference. And yet Paul is saying, these are not your identity anymore. These are not to be the things that cause us division anymore. What if we believed that? Then maybe, number five, we could put on love. If we really let the gospel in, I am loved, I am accepted, I am forgiven. If we really let that produce peace, <sighs> peace, I'm okay. I have all that I need. Now, love isn't such a scary proposition anymore, is it? Loving another person isn't so scary He's sticking with the clothes metaphor. We've put off anger, malice, and wrath, and we're putting on love. Verse 12, put on then all of these things. Verse 14, above all, put on love. It's the glue. It's the super glue of our hearts. It's the super glue of our church. Do the actions of love. That's what he's saying here. He's not just saying, he's not just asking them to have a feeling. Feelings are great. I hope we feel in love with each other. I really do. But that's not what Paul's saying here in, in verse 14. He's saying, do love. Do agape. 
Do agape. Choose to love. We are God's, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Christian, do you understand that God chose to love you? Do you, do you get that? Like, like God wasn't up in heaven with somebody with a gun to his head and they were saying, all right, God, now you got to love that person. Now you got to love Brady. Oh, man, I didn't want to love Brady, but you're forcing me to. That didn't happen. God chose to love you because he loves you. Why does God love you? Because he loves you. That's the answer to that riddle. Why does God love me? Because he chose to. He wanted to. Listen, let that then become the power to love others. Agape love chose to cancel all debts. Agape love chose to forgive every transgression. Agape love chose to fight all evil for you. Agape love chose to die for you. And agape love chose to share all of its fullness with you. That's the love that's in you. That's the superpower that's in you. Let that love be put on. Let it bind us together. It is the central virtue of our church, love. When we say Christ is at the center of Grace Baptist Church, we mean love is at the center. When we say that the gospel is at the center, we mean love is at the center. This is illogical love. This is, this is love that would say I can love even somebody who doesn't love me. Someone who doesn't sound like me or think like me or act like me, I can love them. That's agape love, isn't it? This is not mere sentimentality. It's not cheap. It's not easy. Actually, it's compassionate. Verse 12, it's having a compassionate heart. Literally, bowels of mercy, gut-wrenching love. Gut-wrenching sympathy for others, where you feel what they feel. Kindness, choosing to meet needs. Humility, choosing to set your needs aside. Meekness, choosing to make concessions. Patience, choosing to endure even when the other person is wronging you. Bearing with, choosing to uphold that brother or sister who's struggling. Forgiveness, choosing to set aside their debt that they owe you. As Christ forgave, so you must forgive. I must forgive, but here's the good news. You can forgive. You can forgive. The person who's been forgiven everything... The person who's been forgiven a hell's worth of offenses? Can you not forgive the little thing that somebody's done to you? Little by comparison? The God who's forgiven you trillions and trillions of dollars of debt? Can't you forgive the ten bucks that somebody owes you? You say, Brady, this makes me weak. Those are all character traits of weakness. Forgiveness, that's weakness. Meekness, that's weakness. Humility, that's weakness. No, no. It's ultimate power. It's a superpower. When you know that you're so full and so okay 
that then you can risk everything to love and forgive and to step aside, literally die for someone else? What's the greatest act of power ever in all of human history? It's also the greatest act of weakness, isn't it? A man nailed to a cross, stripped naked, beaten, nailed to a cross, can't move his right arm, can't move his left arm, can't move his legs, literally suffocating to death, that's weakness. But it's also the greatest act of power ever, isn't it? It's the greatest act of power to sacrifice your life like that for somebody else. Will you choose to love? Will you choose to let yourself be loved by God? And will you choose to love today? Will you put on love? And then number six. Number six. Now just live fully. Live freely. Live gratefully in Christ. That's how it ends. 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Christ. Do it from his love. You see, at the center of our faith is not principles. Those are fine. It's not practices. Those are fine too. But they're not at the center of what we believe. What's at the center of what we believe is a person. It's a life. It's Jesus. We do everything from him, from the name of Christ from the power and person and work of Christ. That's the guiding force of our lives now. Not a list, not a regulation. A person. His love in me, controlling me, so that I love like he loves. Okay, so tell me what to do. Brady, tell me what to do. Listen, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Jesus and the apostles did not tell us detailed lists of what to do in our lives. They gave you freedom, and they're trusting you with that freedom. You want, what should I do? And what Jesus offers you is, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. You want to know which door to walk through, which college to go to, which job to take, which house to buy, should I break up or stay in the relationship? You want the Bible to tell you all of those what-to-dos, and it's not gonna. Because then there would be no such thing as faith. There would actually be no wisdom. There would actually be no love. Instead, Jesus says to you, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in the name of Christ. Okay, but I will end, I will end this morning with just a couple thoughts here that can help you as you make a decision. We, we've been given this blank check. Whatever you do, okay, whatever I do, number one, ask this question. Does my whatever defame, disgrace, or disregard the person of Jesus and his love. Does it, does it disregard Jesus' love? Does it, does it defame the name of Jesus? If my whatever will hurt the name of Jesus, it's off the list. Number two, does your whatever, whatever you do, 
does your whatever violate your own conscience or the conscience of another Christian? That's not in Colossians, but it's in 1 Corinthians and it's in Romans. Does my whatever hurt another person? Does it violate my conscience? Does it violate another person's conscience? Does it cause them to sin? Okay, then it's off the list. Number three, my whatever, whatever I do, I'm going to go to this college instead of this college. I'm going to take this job. I'm going to, I'm going to date him instead of him. My whatever, can I give thanks to God for it? So if it passes those three, those three tests, does it, does it disregard or disgrace Jesus? Does it violate conscience? And number three, can I give thanks for it? Can I say, thank you, Jesus, for this thing? If it passes those three tests, what you're left with is you're left with the other 99% of life. We've eliminated all, all the overt sins at this point. And what we're left with is, now here's the question. How can my whatever, whatever I'm doing, how can it draw my heart to Jesus? How can I do my whatever in the name of Jesus? And I've already shown you one of the things I do. I watch superhero movies and let them draw me to Jesus. Ask my family. They hate it. Every movie we watch, i got to turn it into a lesson. Can you play baseball to the glory of Jesus? Hopefully, maybe, maybe not. you got to wrestle with that. Can you date this person to the glory of Jesus? Can you stay married to... Yes, shake your head, yes. To the glory of Jesus. <laughs> Can you love your children to the glory... On and on. Can I take this class? Can I study to the glory of Jesus? Can I listen to this music? Look at this art. Can I, can I paint to the glory of Jesus? How does this... And not just can I, but how can I use it to draw my heart to the gospel? To draw my heart to faith in Christ. And that's a lifetime, this is a lifetime practice, guys. This is a lifetime of learning to live, learning to live in the presence of Christ. Live in, the, live in freedom, Christian. Enjoy everything. Everything is yours. If it passes those three tests, enjoy it. Enjoy everything. Celebrate. Joyful, joyful. Lord, we adore you. Christ is all. Christ is in all. Let's pray. Father, we want to be able to let the word of Christ dwell in us. And we want the peace of Christ to rule over us. We want those things to be able to expose sin, expose, expose mindsets that lead us towards unloving either sexual sin or anger, but, but any sin, God, anything that would draw us away from love. God, we want to put on love. This is our heart's cry today. God, I know many are struggling with this. Many are struggling to put on love. May they today, first and foremost, know that they are loved, that they are your chosen, holy, beloved child, son, daughter. God, as a church, allow us to put on the superglue of love. God, teach us to live with this superpower, the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Jesus. All that is His is ours. How did Jesus go to the cross? Because He knew He was loved. Because right before the cross, you took Him up on a mountain 
You transfigured him and you said, this is my beloved son. And then he went down the mountain and he went and died for us. God, may we see that every single day you take us up on the mountain. You make us glow. You are transfiguring us, transforming us from one degree of glory to the next so that we can then walk down the mountain and give our lives for others in agape love. Continue to teach us this. We submit to it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.